0: turn to the book of philippians philippians chapter 2 verse 19 or we'll read to the end of the chapter so philippians 2:19 to verse 30 Father, we pray this morning, as we sit under your word, Lord, our, our world is in desperate need of, of heroes. Our world is in desperate need of men and women that we can point our children to as examples to follow. God, and we thank you for your scriptures because in it we see the example of Jesus Christ. And we here we have the example of these two men, of what it means, of what it looks like to follow Christ and to, the, and to do the work of the Lord. So may we look to these individuals, may we learn from their example, may you encourage us and help us through your Holy Spirit who abides in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The 26th President of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, once delivered a powerful speech titled "Citizenship in a Republic," and shortly after the delivery of that speech, it became incredibly popular, often quoted. Now, this is a particular section in that speech that came to be known as the "Man in the Arena." In this particular part of the speech, is most often even today, it continues to maintain its popularity. It's often quoted. In the context of sports, the U.S. Naval Academy actually requires all incoming freshmen to memorize this particular section. But what I think is the most memorable part of the entire speech is when he says that self-restraint, self-mastery, common sense, the power of accepting individual responsibility, and yet acting in conjunction with others— Courage and resolution, these are the qualities which mark a masterful people. In his speech, he also says that glory and honor come to those who spend themselves in a worthy cause. How you define a worthy cause, I guess it's depending upon the individual's interpretation, but I love what he said about these different virtues. Now, I don't know if Teddy Roosevelt was a Christian or not, but these are actually virtues that are very much highlighted in these scriptures. Self-constraint or self-restraint, self-mastery, discipline, self-control. Common sense, we read a lot about in the book of Proverbs. talking about the, what, the simpleton or the one who is foolish. Common sense in the Proverbs being wisdom, prudence, accepting individual responsibility. Right, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2 tells us acting in conjunction with others. We read in the book of Philippians that we are to strive to maintain unity, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Courage and resolution. Philippians chapter 2, tells us that we ought not to be frightened in anything. So the Christian life requires courage and zeal. And again, he says in his speech, glory and honor comes to those who spend themselves in a worthy cause. Philippians, Is a book that's very much concerned with glory and honor, but not the kind of glory and honor that comes from the world, but the kind of glory and honor that only comes from the Lord, which is ultimately what we're striving for, what we're looking for. So chapter 127, we began this section that deals with living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 2, we come to the conclusion of that section. And it concludes with these Two particular men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, men in the arena, and how they, in their lives, displayed the characteristics of a godly and masterful people. And so, it is to these individuals that we look to this morning, first, looking at the proven character of Timothy. The word says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So this is the same Timothy who has two letters addressed to him that we have in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. And there's two things that we quickly learn about Timothy. In this passage. One is that he has a genuine concern for others, namely for the church in Philippi. He's generally concerned for them. He cares for them. And the second thing is that he's distinguishable from all others. Right? The Apostle Paul says, I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. That others seek their own interests. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The others that he may be comparing Timothy to might be the Pretentious preachers in Philippians 1, these preachers who were preaching from a selfish ambition, show no concern really for others, were really concerned for their own welfare, looking to or seeing right, Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity for them to advance themselves as preachers of the gospel. They're not looking to the interests of Paul or to the interests of others. looking to the interests of, of themselves. Now, Timothy, on the other hand, Tells us that he was generally concerned for the welfare of others. He was interested in the things of Christ as opposed to those others. Now, what are the interests of Christ? Right, and we can quickly name those what those things might be, but to name us several of those things, right? Christ's interest is for the church. Or that she be holy and blameless, right, without blemish, you see in Ephesians 5 that his people grow up to the stature of the fullness of Christ, in Ephesians 4. John seventeen twenty, Jesus prays and says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus is concerned with the church's unity, being one. And obviously, the Jesus a great, of great interest to Jesus is the gospel, right? That's what he spent his lifetime doing. It's what his life is about. It's what the Great Commission is about, to go and to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to baptize, to teach, to disciple, Others might be the, it, the preservation of the church, the personal holiness of God's people. Of great interest to Christ is the lost sheep that are scattered about the world that he means to bring back into the fold. And greatest among the many interests of Christ is the glory of God. So Timothy has displayed an interest for the things that concern Jesus Christ, which is primarily concerned with the people of God. Now, the proven character of Timothy is also seen in his his laboring. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, I love this, he has served with me in the gospel. Served with me in the gospel. Right there, it doesn't really capture what Paul really means when he says that, Paul, that Timothy has served with him in the gospel. One way of putting it, that I think really gets at what Paul meant in saying this, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has slaved with me in the gospel. That Timothy has slaved in the gospel, that the gospel is kind of a master that is compelling Timothy to serve that Timothy is bound in chains by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in this way, he shows that he is slaving in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most likely what Paul has in mind is Timothy working alongside the Apostle Paul and planting the church in Philippi. So in this way, Timothy slaves with the Apostle Paul in his glorious work of the gospel. Right, and I think it's what we are or ought to be compelled to do or to see our lives. Right, in light of that, though, are we slaving in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we slaves? Do we consider ourselves slaves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, bound by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it compels us, so that it drives us to serve the Lord and concerned with the interests of Christ, concerned with one another? So Timothy has shown himself to be of a proven character, worthy of acceptance, can be trusted. And he's saying that you can trust his concern for you, Paul says to the church. His slaving in the work of the gospel brings to mind Philippians 1.20, where the apostle Paul says, "...as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed." Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's eager hope and expectation is that Christ will be honored in His body. Which, by the way, if you remember sermon, I don't remember how long ago it was, but the on the on the person of Christ, I talked about a heresy called Gnosticism based on salvation and one's knowledge and that what you do in the body doesn't really matter. It's just what's in your heart, what your soul, What is that what matters and how even today there's still an influence of Gnosticism when people emphasize the the inner parts of the person and not the outer parts, identifying how you want to be identified, doing with your body with whatever you want. Right here, Paul says, it is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body. That's a digression. How exactly would Christ be honored in the body of the Apostle Paul? The answer is in verse 22. That living in this body, or living in the flesh, means fruitful labor. So what am I going to do with my flesh, with my body? I'm going to engage in fruitful labor for the Lord. And what does this fruitful labor look like? The answer is in verse 25, that Paul will remain in the body, Engaging in fruitful labor for the church's progress and joy in the faith. Fruitful labor might actually parallel man's original responsibility in the garden when God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it, essentially to engage in fruitful labor. That's what Paul was engaging in now. This is what his fruitful labor was on the part of the church Not only are we individually called to bear fruit in our own personal lives, but I think that the responsibility of the Christian is also to engage in fruitful labor. Putting yourself, engaging yourself in work that produces fruit. What fruit is being produced In your own personal life, is it producing, perhaps, encouragement in someone's life? Is it exhortation, serving the church in one particular way, shape, or form? Those are all different ways of engaging in fruitful labor that produces, helps to produce fruit in the life of the church, in the life of other believers, So slaving in the gospel is not just about planting a church like Timothy did, but slaving in the gospel is any work where you are compelled to work by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when your heart's intent and desire, when your goal is to engage in work that is unto the Lord. It is living a life that is compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in his slaving, we see that Timothy has proven himself to be a man in the arena who slaved himself into the work of the gospel. And he's shown himself to be trustworthy and have an honorable conduct. That's one person. We also have another person named in the passage. So then let's look at the faithful service of Epaphroditus. So verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. So Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church because they desired to send sort of a care package to the Apostle Paul, who was in prison. Epaphroditus came with that package as a representative of the church, and on his travels to see the Apostle Paul, he became sick, and the passage tells us that he actually became sick to the point of death. But he recovered, and he succeeded. And based on the passage, it seems that the church had heard about his illness, but hadn't heard about his recovery. And so Paul wanted to encourage the church, let them know he's okay, but he also intends to send him back. So in this way, Epaphroditus showed himself to be a faithful servant. He was engaging in a ministry to the Apostle Paul. But the reason why Epaphroditus is considered a minister to the need of the Apostle is not just simply because he was tasked with delivering a package to the Apostle Paul, but Epaphroditus was also arriving with encouragement. You see, Epaphroditus represented the church of Philippi. And in this way, he was filling up what was lacking in the church's ministry to the Apostle Paul. But this is what Paul says in verse 29, "So receive him in the Lord. Or verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What was lacking in this service? Was it some particular content that was missing in this package? Was it some monetary funds that was lacking? And Epaphroditus sought to maybe make up for what was lacking in those monetary funds? I don't think that was the case. Paul felt that, that his needs were met. So what could have been lacking in the church's service to the apostle Paul? The only thing, the only logical thing that could have been lacking... And the church's service to the Apostle Paul is that the church themselves would actually go and take the trip and see the Apostle themselves, right? Which is obviously difficult to do because people have jobs, some might be sick, you can't do it. But Paul saw the ministry of Epaphroditus as a filling up of what was lacking in the church's service to him by his being a representative of the church. So in the church, sending Epaphroditus, they're in a way sending themselves. And that to receive Epaphroditus is to receive the church, to receive the encouragement of having Epaphroditus standing there with him, seeing him face to face. It's like seeing the love of the church in physical presence. And so in this way, the entire church was involved. This is what I would call an example of solidarity, the solidarity of Christian encouragement. Sort of the idea behind the vision that I have for missions as a church, right, that we would have personal relationships with missionaries, not only giving to them, not only praying to them, but also going as well, whether we send one person or two or ten people Because to send them is to also, in a way, to send the church. To receive encouragement through them is to also receive an encouragement through the church. We see an example of that here in the passage. In a personal way, this is the way I view it in my home with us as a family. When we open up our home for whatever reason that somebody might need it, for somebody to stay with us for an extended period of time, well, we don't see this as just a ministry that we do as a family, but we also see it as a ministry of the church because it is the church that provides the means for us to be able to house people in that kind of way. And so in that way, the person not receiving just encouragement from, my, from, my, from me personally or from my family, but from the family of the church. Your generosity, in your generosity we see this encouragement of Christian solid, or the solidarity of Christian encouragement right, you're giving to somebody else, you're providing a meal for somebody, you're doing for somebody else, is in a way the church corporately engaging in that fellowship, in that activity, or in that service. It is a testimony to the love and the fellowship of the church. So Epaphroditus shows himself to be a faithful minister Was also worthy of honor. I read that Epaphroditus came close to dying for the sake of serving the Apostle Paul and serving the church in the way that he did. But really, Epaphroditus, when we look to these men, these are wonderful examples for us to follow, but essentially Epaphroditus was following the example of Jesus Christ. He was imitating Christ. Christ, who did not look to his own personal interest, but looked to the interest of others, namely sinners. He did not see his own position or his own rank as something to be grasped, something to be exploited for his own purposes. But he became a servant. He slaved himself to become obedient even to the point of death. Jesus Christ slaved himself in order to save his people from their sins, to save anyone who places their faith and trust upon Jesus Christ. Jesus, the divine Son of God, came to the world, born to a virgin, born to human parents, endured the temptations of the world, endured even the temptations of the devil himself, and conquered, committed no sin when surrounded by a world of darkness, sat down with sinners when he himself was criticized for sitting with sinners, Loved all people, even the most rejected by society, even while he himself was rejected by those around him. Permitted himself to be subjected to an unfair trial. Persevered through the agony of carrying a heavy wooden cross while his body ached and bled. Suffered agonizingly and yet honorably as he was crucified to that cross. Buried, then rose again from the dead and exalted to the position of the right hand of God where he is honored and glorified. And one day all the world will give him that glory and honor that he deserves. And Epaphroditus, essentially was imitating the life of Jesus Christ. Looking to the interests of others and not just himself. Delivered this package that he could have been justified in just not doing. Given that he was sick to the point of death, nobody would have blamed him for giving up the mission. But he continued in the mission anyway. And he succeeded. And I cannot help but conclude that he was just driven by the gospel, driven by the life of Jesus Christ. And so Paul commends him to the church to honor him, receive him back. Publicly acknowledge acknowledge him, hold him high, in high regard, and in this way, he was engaging in the work of Christ. His delivery of this package is considered a work of Christ. Not considered a work of Christ because, because of the specificity of what he did. It's not that we have to deliver a package and go to the point of near death in order to be to be in order for it to be considered a work of Christ. No, it's considered a work of Christ because he was slaving in the gospel, because he was compelled by the gospel. Right, the work of Christ on the cross on behalf of sinners is what enables Christians to engage in little works of Christ, where we look to the interests of others, count others more significant. Serve one another, encourage one another, provide for each other's needs, coming on a Saturday morning to help and provide and maintain the facilities of the church. All these ways and so much more is engaging in the work of Christ. You see that both of these men display the marks of a masterful person. They lived in a manner worthy of the gospel, and they lived the kind of life that the Bible describes as an honorable life. we need people to look up to. And we don't have many in the world. But the Bible gives us some examples to follow. Look into the example of Christ. Look into the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And there's so much more in the scriptures. So then to conclude, what lessons can we take from Timothy and Epaphroditus? Lesson number one: The conduct of your life matters. A proven character or an honorable character, is not just determined by a single honorable action, but it is determined by the conduct of your life. Right? Christ's sacrifice on the cross was incredibly, incredibly honorable. Right? They're righteous for the unrighteous. The Holy One dying for sinners, so that anyone who places their faith and trust upon Jesus Christ is saved from the judgment and wrath of God. It's incredible, it's an honorable sacrifice, but what would that sacrifice mean without the context of his life? What would it mean apart from those three years of his ministry? What if Jesus just came into the world as an adult, went straight to the cross, and died on the cross? What would that mean for the gospel? The gospel, of course, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also includes his entire life. Without learning about his life, without reading of his three years of ministry, his teaching on the kingdom, his teaching about the gospel, without those three years of ministry where we see the powerful work of Jesus Christ where he displays that he is the divine son of God With all, without all of that context, Right? The sacrifice of Christ would not come to mean what it would mean, what it means for us today. But what we see in the conduct of his life that he lived a life that is honorable to the Lord, and that essentially in everything that he does in his life gives great meaning to his sacrifice on the cross. The life of Christ matters. So in the same way, right, it's the the conduct of our life, the character of our life. And when we look into the example of these men, right, don't focus so much on what they did, right? Planting a church, going to, to the point of almost dying to serve the Apostle Paul. That's not essentially what it's about, but it's a focus on the character of their life. It's not necessarily about the quantity of your good works, doing more, doing more, excelling, doing more, and doing more, but it's about the consistency. An honorable character, according to the Scriptures, is always consistent in good works. Not just as one owns one's personal life, but it's also in service to others. It's taking individual responsibility, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's also acting in conjunction with others, striving side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ, eager to maintain unity, looking to the entrance of others, counting others more significant than yourselves. The conduct of your life matters. Number two is to put your hand to the plow. We are each called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, what the gospel says but we're also called to engage in work that does produce fruit. The question is, what are you doing for others? How are you serving others? When was the last time you served another person? In these ways is how we engage in fruitful labor. It's about consistency. Are you consistent in serving and engaging in fruitful labor? So producing, helping to produce fruit in the life of the church, the life of your brothers and sisters in Christ. As I mentioned before, perhaps by providing encouragement, exhortation, providing for a tangible need, serving the church in a particular way. In the passage, Timothy is distinguished from all others. It says, I have no one like him who is generally concerned for your welfare. But the Bible says in Philippians, look out to the interests of others, not just yourselves. And this is what distinguished Timothy from all others. And this is what also distinguishes us. That we look to the interests of others. And also, do you share in the concerns of Jesus Christ? you share in those concerns? Maintaining the unity of the church. Striving for unity. Maintaining the purity of your church. Not only living in an honorable and a godly way in the church but also outside of the church. Sharing the gospel. It's another way of sharing in the interest of Christ. In your own personal life. And brothers who are husbands or fathers, as you work in the world, in your secular work, right, this can also be considered a work of Christ as long as you understand and believe and know that you are ultimately, most importantly, working unto the glory of your Heavenly Master. Are you conducting yourself in a way that is without blemish, without spots, in a way that shows that you are innocent in the eyes of God, doing all things as if Philippians, without grumbling? You're engaging in the work of Christ in this way. You're engaging in the work of Christ as you as you produce the fruit of your hard-earned work to provide for your family as a way to honor the Lord. It's a way to use those means to not only produce fruit in your own home but also producing fruit in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. And right? my sisters who are wives, mothers, right? or if you're single, it's the same thing if you are working in the secular field. right? There's you're ultimately working unto the Lord. As you're engaging in your tasks in a way that pleases God, your ultimate aim is to glory, to glorify the Lord. That's engaging in the work of Jesus Christ. And if you're a mom who's at home with the kids What does this fruitful labor look like in the lives of your children? Let me ask yourself, what kind of fruit do I I want to see produced in the life of my children? And then thinking about, what do I need to do to help produce that kind of fruit through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the help of the Holy Spirit? Having those gospel conversations, having those spiritual conversations in the home, If you're younger, if you're a student, same thing, that you are, are you conducting yourself as a student in a way that is honoring to the Lord, that is pleasing to God, conducting yourself in a way that God would consider you blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and world? For those of you who are retired, right, the question is, how are you going to use your time in a way that produces fruit in the lives of others? Lastly, another lesson we can take from their example is to take personal responsibility. Right, I talked about the encouragement of Christian solidarity, but that doesn't excuse us from serving that doesn't excuse us from taking personal responsibility. Philippians 2.4 tells each of you to let each of you look to the interests of others. That's personal responsibility. That's intentionality. I'm sometimes asked, well, how can I plug into the church? What can I do to serve the church? And That's a great question, and I like answering the question. But I can't always answer the question. Right? I cannot always do the work for everybody to help everybody understand or to see all the different needs in the church. Right? The Bible commands it that each of us look to the interests of others, meaning to look for ways to engage in the work of Christ, slaving in the gospel to see how can we meet the needs of others. You know, and I say all these things because this is what I draw from the passage But listen carefully, I do not say this because I think that our service or our serving or our slaving in the gospel in the church needs work. In fact, actually, I commend all of you. I commend us as a church because many of you do put your hand to the plow and get to work and engaging in fruitful labor, slaving in the gospel of Jesus Christ on behalf of others. That is worthy of imitation. That is highly commendable. And so I say all these things, not only because this is what I draw from the passage, but also to encourage you to continue in these things and to excel in them. But I also, with the authority and the command of the Scriptures, do say these things to anybody also who could be or should be producing or engaging in the work of gospel ministry in the life of the church. So I quoted earlier the words of Teddy Roosevelt in this particular speech and all these different virtues, virtues that are affirmed in these scriptures. If I could just add sort of a companion to those words of Teddy Roosevelt, it would be 2 Peter 1, 3, and we'll conclude with this. God's divine power has granted to us all things, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible work on the cross on our behalf. And we thank you that through the Spirit who dwells in us, through that work on the cross, we are now enabled to engage in these little works. Help us, Lord, by the power of the gospel. So not only see ourselves as those who are slaves under the gospel, that we may also engage in fruitful labor, the kind of labor that does produce fruits, not only in our own personal lives, but produces fruits in the life of the church. So we pray and ask that you would do this work in us and help us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.